Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. So here we are, yet again, <laughs> preparing to discover one more way in which God answers the question that we find ourselves asking, which is, who am I? Who am I? And as we keep reading in the, the first couple of chapters in the, the book of Ephesians, we see now in, in verse 5 that we are in love, predestined for adoption to sonship. And so if we say, who am I? I am predestined to an eternity with Christ. And, you know, there are certain topics within the church <laughs> that, that we can call hot button issues, <laughs> that we can call church dividing issues. And I'm not talking about what color the light fixtures are. I'm, I'm talking about the, the things that we see in the Bible that, that people look at and they, they, they look at different ways. And when they look at these, these specific topics in different ways, they, they start drawing lines in the sand saying that my way is the right way and this is the only way it can be. And, and what I will say this morning, church, is that predestination is one of those topics. <laughs> we, we are all here today... And what I would ask, and what I already prayed is that if there is an area in our life where we need to, to have our viewpoint modified, and I don't know if there is or not, but if there is something like that in my life, I want, Kaylee, can you mute? Something's playing. Just turn down the MP3 all the way to zero. I think it's gone now. <laughs> um, if there is something in my life that is wrong, something that, that God is looking at and he's brought to the service saying, hey, we need to correct this. We need to change this. We have a choice. I have a choice, right? I can, I can choose to say, okay, God, I hear your correction, but I'm going to choose to hang on to the, my way of thinking anyway. That's a choice. Or we can say, okay, I, I hear your correction. I hear that your direction that you're giving, and I'm choosing to let go of the thing that, that I have known to, to be right so far, and instead going with what you say is right from your word. That's a hard thing to do. And if we look at, at how these, these topics have been addressed, entire church movements have been birthed out of disagreement of, of how topics like predestination are addressed and handled within the church. And I just have to wonder, what does that do to the heart of God? What does that do to the heart of God when there is division in the body of Christ based off of something that is maybe not quite a, as big a deal as we're saying it is? 
the, the topic of, of predestination. We're gonna, for those of you that don't know what that is, we're going to talk about it. We're going to explain specifically from the Word of God. This is not Matt's best idea of what predestination is. We're just going to take it straight from the Word of God. But it's been misunderstood. It's been explained poorly. It has been incorrectly applied in, in ages past. And, and these debates have failed to result in any significant information being shed on the situation, on the topic. And so our goal today is to take a fresh look at what it means to be predestined to sonship. Because church, if we look at, at Ephesians verse 5, chapter 1 verse 5, it says we are predestined to sonship. So you can't tell me that predestination is not a thing. Right? We, we believe that the word of God is true. And because we believe that the word of God is true, then that means predestination is right. And now, here's the kicker. What does predestination mean? Maybe we're getting it wrong. Oh, gasp. Maybe not, but maybe we are. And so we need to set some ground rules before we go into this. And, and here is my, my request to anybody that is listening to us this morning, whether you're here or whether you're joining us from, from outside of these four walls, we want to approach this passage with a ready mind and a ready heart to receive what God has for us, to be willing to change and to grow as God directs us to. So if you're ready, we're going to start our journey. We're, we're using the Ephesians 1 and 2 to kind of direct our, our topic this morning, but we're going to actually pull most of our text from Romans 9. And when we look at, at Romans 9, this is a letter that Paul, the Apostle Paul, has, has written to the church in Rome. And he chooses to, to kind of begin this passage in a, a very personal way. He, he's establishing that what he is saying is true. And, and the things that he is saying, that they can be taken to heart. They can be applied to the lives of the people that are reading it. And in verses 1 and 2, the, they are one sentence that is put together in the Greek. And he's saying that what he says is true and he's not going to lie because of the fact that he belongs to Christ. And because he belongs to Christ, the, the words that he is sharing are true. And what we see here is Paul is, is upset. He's filled with sorrow. He's, he's lamenting, if you will. We don't get to use that word very often. He is, is upset on the, the behalf of the people of Israel. that this Jewish nation has chosen to step away from. The, the fact that they have been called the people of God. The whole reason that the Jewish nation was to exist was to, to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. However, they, they chose to reject Jesus Christ as the Messiah. They chose to step away from that responsibility to be a blessing to the neighboring nations. And so from an outside perspective, it started to kind of look like the people of Israel had made it impossible for God to do what he said he was going to do. They made it look like God couldn't keep his promise. But is that true? 
Of course it's not. God will always keep his promises. The Bible says that all God's promises are yes and amen, right? And because God's promises are true, that means that I can't get in the way of God doing what he says he's going to do. I'm not that important. And neither are you. <laughs> I'm sorry. We, we are not important enough to get in the way of God's promises. And the people of Israel are not important enough to get in the way of God's promises either. Does that mean he doesn't love us? Absolutely not. Does that mean he doesn't love the people of Israel? Absolutely not. He loves them enough to not let them get in the way of his promises. And so the, the question that, that Paul is, is struggling with in this Romans chapter 9 is that, you know, has God really abandoned the Jewish people? And if, if God really has abandoned the people of, of Israel, what does that mean? And, and, and can that really be true? And so we start getting into the, the edges of this topic of predestination. Paul starts using this topic of predestination where he starts looking at the fact that, that it's not possible to, to make God break his promise. And that the, the tragedy of the Jewish people, the, the sadness of the history of the Jewish people, if you, you look back at, at the choices that were made all through the Old Testament, we see time after time after time where, where God is reaching out to them and, and bringing them back. And then they, they slide back into their old ways of, of worshiping idols and turning away from God. And then God brings them back again and, and they sends a prophet, but then it, it comes and it happens again. And it's this cyclical process that they're going through. This tragedy of the Jewish people is in no way indicative of God's plan being a failure. So Paul is, is focused on that area, but he's also, he's also upset because he's a Jew. And he doesn't want his people to be a failure. <laughs> he wants his people to have a relationship with Christ. In fact, he, he felt so strongly about wanting the people of Israel to have a relationship with Jesus, to recognize their Messiah, that, that he was willing to die himself if that meant it would, would make a way. That's the, the kind of love that, that we're called to have for the people that are lost. And as you look back at, again, at we, as we look back at the Old Testament, you look at what God had done for the people of Israel. It, it's, it's almost astounding when you look at how much God had done for that people group that they would still reject him. As a people, they were escorted out of captivity, out of the land of Egypt, as a people, they were led by a pillar of cloud and a pillar of fire through the wilderness. As a people, they were provided for with bread from heaven. Literal bread fell down from heaven and was available to them. As a people, he fed them with quail. As a people, he provided water in the wilderness. As a people, he healed them from disease. As a people, he led them through dry land 
through the, the river of Jordan. He led them into a promised land. He led them into victory with the battle of Jericho where the walls fell down as they marched around it. He led them time after time after time into blessing and they walked away. Time after time after time, I have been led into blessing and I walk away. And so Paul is uh, torn apart because he sees these blessings that, that have taken place. He sees how these people are being blessed. The result of that blessing in their life. And, and he, he is, from this backseat perspective, he, he's watching that they're missing the boat, they're missing the point. And so the first thing that we have to recognize when we talk about predestination is God's sovereignty. Really, the, the entire idea of predestination rests on the concept of God being sovereign. There's a lot of we'll say, incorrect viewpoints when it comes to the sovereignty of God. God is unable to right the wrongs that exist in humanity. God is unwilling to right the wrongs or to involve himself in the wrongs of humanity. Or we could just go straight to the end and say God is just not just. He doesn't do the right thing but none of that is true. God has, has never promised that every Jew would be saved. He promised that there would be a remnant of the people of Israel that would be saved. So God never fails in his, his ultimate promise, his ultimate purpose of making sure that in the end, there will be a people of Israel. There will be a, a Jewish remnant that have accepted Christ as their Messiah and that are saved. When you look at different translations, there are a couple of interesting things. The, the physical descendants of Abraham are not the ones who have received the promise. The, the spiritual descendants of Abraham are the ones who have received the promise that are, are considered the, the true new nation of Israel. Paul highlights two very different Israels as he's talking about this in, in Romans 9. He's talking about the, the Israel that existed that was that, that group that was pulled out of, of Egypt and, and that grew into the nation but he's also at the same time talking about a larger nation of Israel. When that promise was given to Abraham that, that through him all of the peoples of the earth, all of the nations would be blessed. What we see here is the people of Israel and the, the, the physical descendants of Abraham 
And the believers that came afterwards, the Gentiles that came to become believers in Christ, both of those groups came together and now make up this, this nation of believers. God never intended for it just to be the people of Israel, the, the physical nation of Israel, the physical descendants of Abraham to be the only people that received his grace, the, the only people that could be saved. It was always intended that, that God's salvation would be for all people. The salvation of the human race was too important for God to just hope that Abraham and the people of Israel got it right. Can you imagine if, if God set his entire plan in motion at the beginning of creation and he made his promise to Abraham saying, man, I sure hope you get this right because if you don't, there's millions of people, billions of people that are destined to an eternity in hell. It's all up to you. No. <laughs> that, that is not the way our God does things. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> no. He gives us an opportunity to participate in his plans. But I don't have the ability to make him a liar. I don't have the opportunity to mess up what he has planned and put into action. What we see here is, is predestination highlighting God's perfect character. God is 100% is within his rights to, to choose a group for his service. He has, has, choose the nation, has chosen the nation of Israel for his service to be a tool that he will use to reach the nations. God is infinite. God is perfect. We, we use those, those words, God is omnipotent, is all-powerful, omnipresent. He, he's everywhere, all-knowing, all-seeing. He is not subject to my emotions. He's not subject to, man, I had a really bad sleep last night, and now I'm just grumpy. He's, man, I had some bad tacos, and, and now I just don't feel good, or, you know, any of those things. That's not how God works. Thank you, Jesus. That he, he doesn't have a bad day. He is perfect in his goodness. He is perfect in his justice, in his holiness, in his righteousness, in his knowledge and wisdom and power. He's perfect in all of those things. Just like we sing, he is perfect in all of his ways. And because he is perfect in all of those ways, he is perfect in all of the choices that he makes. You see where this is going? If he's perfect in all of the choices that he makes, and if every choice he makes turns out the right way, then that means predestination does have some meat to it. It means that there is something that we need to, to look at when it comes to predestination. Now we just need to make sure we're understanding it correctly. Predestination highlights God's specific responsibility. And so there's this group of believers that are Calvinists that, that say if God functions by making sovereign choices 
then there's nothing that I can do about it. Whether or not I'm going to be saved is already decided. If I'm saved, then that was the will of God, and there's nothing I need to worry about because it's happened and I can move on. And anybody that isn't saved, that was also the will of God, and, and, and that's, that's the will of God and nothing I need to worry about. And because I'm saved, it means that I don't really have to do anything now. There's no responsibility on me to actually participate in this process at all because it was already God's will for me to be saved. That doesn't seem healthy. The problem is that finite me, not all-powerful me, not all-seeing me, is created in God's image. And because I've been created in God's image, I have free will. I get to choose. And the essence of sin is that I have the ability to reject what God's perfect will is in my life. I get to choose. God's perfect will for me and for you and for all of creation is that they are with him for all of eternity. That's truth. That's, we see the heart of God in his word, that he desires for all of creation to be redeemed. But because we have been created in his image, we have this thing called a free will. And we get to choose whether or not we are going to accept that plan. In James, it says that God has not predetermined that anyone should sin. I mean, that right there kind of messes up the whole argument. If God hasn't predetermined that anyone is going to sin, doesn't sin still happen? You bet. Turn on the news. Turn on anything. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. We need to realize that, that God is not answerable to me. God is not answerable to us, but we can rest assured that God consistently acts in a way that is consistent with his character. Isn't that, that should be comforting, that God consistently acts in a way that is consistent with his character, that, that he is always going to be the same. You know, as a, a parent, you'll often hear that, you know, a kid longs for discipline. Even though maybe they don't really act like it, when discipline is, is in, instituted in their life, when they have direction and boundary, that's when they flourish. That's when they grow. When they know what they can expect from their parent. When there's predictability, when there's consistency, that's when there's a healthy growth in that child's life. We have a father who is consistent in his character. 
predestination shows the consistency in God's plan. If we look at, at the very beginning of, in the book of Genesis, the plan was to save all of the nations of the earth. That his salvation would be available to anyone who chose not to reject his gift. And then we, we move forward into the New Testament and God's call to salvation through the, the gospel message. As we see Paul or Peter come out onto the balcony after the, the day of Pentecost and he, he preaches to all of these different nations and, and in one fell swoop, thousands come to Christ. We see that God's mission is that all of the world would be saved. Paul shows that, that God, in accomplishing his purpose, used ethnic Israel, used the, the nation of Israel to give birth and to establish a spiritual Israel, all of the peoples of the earth that would call Jesus Christ Lord. And then in Romans chapter 9, Paul moves from this idea of divine choice where God is choosing to now this other part of the equation. We have two plus two over here, and that equals four, but so there's two sides of this. The other side of it, if God has, has made this available, I still have to choose it. I still have to accept it. If I say, you know, I've got a hundred bucks right here. It's free for anybody who wants it. It's sitting right here on, on my, my podium. How do you get it? You walk up here and you take it, right? It, it involves something. You can't, you can't just stay there and, well, I, I'm sitting here, and so I'm just going to wait for that 100 bucks to materialize in front of me. Until we get to, like, Star Trek era, beam me up, Scotty, that's not going to work. Just like the Jewish people did, they get to choose whether they're going to follow the, the fact that Jesus Christ came to be their Messiah. We get to choose as well. We get to have our own choice. We, we can't rely on our own works. And so we get to either choose to rely on my own best efforts that's on one side of the spectrum. We can go to the other side of the spectrum like we just talked about and basically say that everything's up to God and I don't have to have any part in this process. Or we can find ourselves in this middle ground. In this middle ground where we see that we are called to accept the gift that Jesus Christ has given us, the work of salvation that has already been done. It's not that I'm accepting anything based on my effort. I'm accepting something that I can never earn on my own. So God's plan was to offer salvation to everyone, but it's up to us to make the choice of whether we're going to accept it or not. God has decided to leave that choice up to us. He could have said, hey, everybody, you're all in. He could have. He could have said, everybody's all in. But because God is righteous, that would have meant that there can't be any sin in the world. 
And if there can't be any sin in the world, then that means that nobody really gets to choose. That essentially we just all became robots that are programmed to worship God. If you have somebody that is forced to come to you and say thank you, does that mean as much as when somebody comes because of the the longing in their heart, the desire in their heart to come to you and say thank you? So predestination and salvation. We've, we've kind of taken the road all the way up to this point. We can choose to believe that salvation is totally dependent on our own effort. And if we do that, we'll find ourselves in the company of most of the Jewish people where they were, were struggling because they thought that if they could just follow the law good enough, if they could try to keep this old covenant good enough that they would would find their way to salvation. But there's a a word that has been made available that says, Carolyn, you don't have to be good enough. Arnie, you don't have to be good enough. And that word is grace. Grace. It says that grace says that the, the wrong things that we have all done, the, the, the stuff that has separated us from God has been dealt with by Jesus' perfect work on the cross. It says, I have made a way for you to be with me for all of eternity. We can choose to believe that salvation is totally dependent on God and that I don't need to participate at all. And and this is dangerous because it leads to a couple of different really unhealthy views that, that once you're saved, that there's no way for you to lose your salvation so your behavior doesn't matter anymore. Which is terrifying. Of course our behavior matters. Our... Our salvation is supposed to reflect an inward change. It is supposed to reflect a life change that has happened. My actions that that you all can see should reflect that life change. Now, that's not to say that we have to walk through life concerned every moment about whether or not salvation is going to be removed from me because church... There's a reason this is such a, a hot-button topic, and that's because if we look at the Bible, there are just as many verses that say that I can't lose my salvation, that God, there is nothing that can pluck me out of the Father's hand. And so if that's true, there, there's these two different viewpoints, and, and they're both in the Bible, which means that they are both true. So if we, we look at Someone who is making a conscious decision to step away from salvation, saying, I I see this gift that has been given to me and I'm actively choosing to walk away from it. That's their choice. God is not taking their salvation away. They are stepping away from it. The other unhealthy product of this type of thinking is that you start to think that the way that you live has no bearing on your salvation. And the problem is the way you live is supposed to be a testimony that brings others to Christ. 
The way that I live, the, the actions that come out of my life, the words that I speak are supposed to be something that someone on the outside can look at and say, there's something different about that person. There's something different about Matt, and I want to know what it is. Something that, that draws them to the heart of God. But if I'm stuck in this moment of saying, well, I don't need to participate in what I do and say doesn't matter, predestination has already taken place and that person that doesn't have a relationship with God isn't going to have one. Is just a broken way of thinking. Both we and God have a role, have a, a part to play in the process of salvation. Predestination, this idea that we have been predestined to be sons and daughters of God, in no way eliminates our own responsibility to participate in this transaction. It just places our role exactly where it's supposed to be. The role on the side of we don't do, have to do anything. We're not responsible for actually making the sacrifice. The only responsibility that exists is accepting what has been done for us. We can choose to come to God on, on our terms or on his. But if we choose to come to God on, on our terms, we will always be further away from him. There is a tourist that was on an Icelandic bus tour. In a couple of days after being on this tour, they, they got out and they were kind of exploring the, the Icelandic wilderness. And it turned out that there was one specific tourist that was missing. And so they started this frantic search involving like 50 different rescuers on foot. And there was people in helicopters looking for this person. And it, it all started when a woman broke off from the tour group and changed her clothes. And when she came back to the bus in a different outfit, the rest of her tour group didn't recognize who she was. And so a description went out of the missing person as Asian in dark clothing and speaks English well. The woman didn't really recognize that that was her that they were talking about. And so she started helping in the search for herself. <laughs> Hours later, around 3 a.m., the search party finally realizes that the woman that they were looking for all along was participating in the search with them and, and everything was called off and the local police chief said that the woman simply didn't recognize that the description of herself that the description was of herself and that she had no idea that she was missing in the first place. This is our problem. This is the problem that exists in the human race. There are people out in the world that are being searched for that have no idea that they are missing. There are people that, that are being looked for that have no clue that they are lost. But God longs 
for the hearts of his people. We, we talked a couple of weeks ago about how God is singing blessing over the hearts of his people. He longs for his children. He, he has a heart for the lost, for the, the ones that are broken, for the ones that are hurting. He wants to bring rescue. He wants to bring peace. He wants to bring salvation, redemption, restoration. My favorite word. He wants to restore what was broken, restore what was lost. And we have an opportunity to participate in that. We are predestined to be sons of God, predestined to be sons and daughters with Christ. Predestined not to, to set aside any responsibility we have to, to reach this group that is lost without knowing it. We're predestined because God knows the outcome of our choices. And God is not going to allow our imperfections to get in the way of his perfect promises taking place. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are in control. We thank you that all your promises are yes and amen, and that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Heavenly Father, we ask that when we come across these areas that, that are difficult to understand, these, these areas that, that can bring division and can bring disagreement, Lord, give us your heart and your mind. Lord, as we move to our ministry time where we're, we're gathering with one another, Lord, help us to, to seek your best in each other's lives. Help us to recognize your best. Help me not to substitute my own idea of what's best, my own idea or thought of what's right, but instead to turn to your word, turn to the Holy Spirit to recognize your best. God, we thank you for this time. We thank you that we can come and spend time with one another. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 